This is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. By supporting the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing, you get free audiobooks and bonus episodes. In this episode, I'm pleased to have Nikki Taylor and Tanner Broadwell, the couple who lost their keel going into Tampa Bay and became a national news story. I apologize for my voice. I am coming off a cold, and so it's not 100%. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, some of the things that have been going on with the podcast and the YouTube channel. I'm very pleased to say that uh, sometime earlier last month, we passed the 2,000 downloads per episode threshold that we've kind of been working towards for a long time. Really pleased about that. So in the first 45 episodes, we had uh, over 90,000 downloads, and hopefully we'll hit that 100,000 mark in the next few episodes. Podcasts, uh, as opposed to YouTube, are uh, very steady in in the listening, and I'm, I'm very pleased that you've been on the journey with us, and thank you for all your support. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and write a rating or review in iTunes or whatever app you get your podcast from. We're a couple months away from going back to the boat in Tahiti to pick up with the the round-the-world trip. The plan for this trip is to go to Tonga and cruise the Northern Society Islands. In YouTube time, the vlog is returning to the Marquesas. We had one vlog in the Marquesas, Hiva Oa, where me and my crew member tried to climb Temitiu and visited Atuona. We're going to return to Atuona after a hiatus, and me and Daly are going to go to sea unprepared. You should check out that video that's out right now. I believe that this vlog series, Season 2, from here on out, is going to be the most complete look at the Marquesas of any sailing vlog that has been produced. And if you find one, tell me about it. But this is the first time I think you'll see a sailing vlog that visits all six permanently inhabited islands of the Marquesas. Most people only visit an island or two to the Marquesas. They're in a rush, and we were not in a rush. We wanted to see every bit of it, and I love the Marquesas, and I think you'll fall in love with the Marquesas too, some of the most remote and beautiful islands in the world. So check out the vlog on YouTube at the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel which is, you know, just recently hit that milestone of over uh, 4,000 subscribers, over half a million views. So uh, we're averaging something like 7,000 or so uh, views per, per, per video. And that's just, I think that reflects the medium of YouTube, that it just has a, a much bigger reach than podcasting and uh 
that really comes out, I think, in the data. But, you know, every video you do, you, you really start at zero, regardless of how many uh, subscribers or people who watch your videos in the past, that you have to put out, you know, great videos to keep people watching. And a lot of people, a lot of you may have watched this interview with Tanner uh, and Nikki about their Coronado 28 boat, which sunk in the entrance to Tampa Bay at St. John's Pass. And I think before this interview, there was a lot of confusion in the media. No, nobody that had been on a sailboat that I know of interviewed them prior to this and maybe after this. That, you know, the issue wasn't their experience. It wasn't the, that they went in at night, but that was a something not a good judgment. Uh, but it was that their keel fell off. And I'm not even sure uh, Tanner, when I talked to him, he emphasized that enough that the keel should not fall off when you run aground or when you hit something. And they just had a just a little tiny motor on their boat. They had a six horsepower outboard motor pushing uh, that Columbia 28. So it, there's no way that they could have really powered into things. But, I, you know, I've, I've run aground from five knots to zero in uh, no time with no keel damage. My keel did, did not fall off. Uh, luckily, we do not have a bolted keel. We have a glassed-in keel uh, integral to the boat, and that was one of the selling points of the island packet. We did have a bolted-on keel from 1969 in our Hinterholer CNC30, and I guess that that is a, a potential issue that could have happened to our 50-year-old uh, boat, nearly 50-year-old boat, but it never did. We did run aground with that several times. It didn't have any problems and I hauled it out. So, uh, but you know, when you have a 50 year old boat, that's a potential issue. Keel bolts are fairly common issue, uh, in older boats. And it's, it was not something that I think was emphasized by the media. They want to emphasize that they, they lost their savings. Okay. They're, 20 so they don't have a lot of savings um you know they lost their belongings well yeah i didn't have many belongings when i was 20 either but you know i think the issue was really they kind of got lucky they were lucky that that keel fell off where it did with in water that they could have walked out of they had their own dinghy and somebody rescued them from sea tow uh but you know, had that fell off in the middle of the ocean and they sank to the bottom of the ocean, then, you know, they could have died, you know. Uh, so it's it's kind of lucky that it happened so soon rather than when they were trying uh, worse things. I didn't, you know, I, I think I have passed on St. John's Pass because I found it to be a fairly tricky entrance on the Gulf side. I've been up and down uh, the the west coast of Florida on the way to the Bahamas and then on the way to Cuba. Uh, on the way to Cuba, I went down and, and the Bahamas, I went up and down. I took the Florida Keys route uh, to, to the Bahamas and uh, I took the west coast uh, before we made our big jump to Cuba. 
and I'm fairly picky about the passes I'll go through. So, for instance, uh, it, in uh, uh, I want to say Apalachicola, they have something I think called government cut. I'm not looking at my chart right now, which is very narrow. Uh, it's, it can be subject to tides and can have some kind of wild surf. I've never done that. I always did the East Pass by Carabelle because that was a better cut to the ocean. Uh, and I don't think St. John's Pass is a particularly good cut. I favored, for instance, Venice Inlet as a cut versus other cuts nearer to Sarasota on the West Coast because I, Venice Inlet is a better cut. So I think that's something that people learn uh, over time or they read about and, you know, maybe Tanner didn't make a great decision by kind of cruising at night early on uh, and going through a cut that was a little, little sketchier, but that shouldn't have done anything. He should have ran aground and he should have been stuck on the sandbar until somebody towed him off, right? That is what should have happened. What did happen was they hit the sandbar and the keel fell off and that should not happen. And the, I guess the whole day two headline is a little bit misleading that it wasn't their second day sailing the boat. It was their second day after they'd done a refit in uh, Tarpon Springs. They did a refit in Tarpon Springs, so they bought the boat for 5000 I think in Alabama, and it's the name of the boat is Lanyap, very type Cajun word, uh, although he said it was Creole, which means a little bit extra. And they took Lanyap with their dad, and they crossed the Gulf of Mexico uh, with Tanner's dad. And then they the the first port that you can come into the, on the Gulf ICW Florida side is Tarpon Springs. And that's where they did the refit. And then they left the boat for a while, went back home to Colorado and stuff like that. And then they did their two days of trips. And... You know, I think the other thing that came out is that, you know, Tanner said he had lots of charts, you know, and, and that so it wasn't like he was totally unprepared on that. Um, obviously, you don't want to over rely on the charts and you don't want to go into strange harbors at night. Those are kind of the best practices. But I've seen, you know, world cruisers violate those best practices. Right. So that was what happened to the Tonda Malaika. And you would say that. Dan Govados, the guest on this podcast, much more experienced than Tanner was, but he he made that mistake. But I saw lots of people, Pacific puddle jumpers, making that mistake. And you'll see that in the vlog. There were tons of people coming into a very, very dangerous and small anchorage where cruisers did not keep their lights on in the anchorage. So they did not have anchor lights on because they were like out of batteries after a Pacific crossing. And people would come in at night just as likely as if they came in at day uh, into the Bay of Virgins at Fatuhiva. So there's a lot, there's a very experienced cruisers, cruisers that have gone thousands and thousands of sea miles that could learn that lesson uh, that, you know, Tanner kind of, learned a little bit the hard way uh, when he, of not going into a strange harbor at night. Still, Tampa Bay is not 
the Marquesas, it is not the Society Islands, which have ringing reefs around the islands. Um, you know, I think all the indications is that he hit a sandbar. He may have thought he hit something hard, but I think it could just as easily be explained by the fact that the keel bolts fell off and that was what was so noisy and jarring that when they hit the sandbar and stopped the keel stopped but their boat kept on going so you're going to get places like john's pass right is notorious for the shifting sands just on the west coast of florida you're not going to get rocks you're not going to get reefs you might get some mud uh, but you probably mostly just get sand and that's definitely bottoms that you can run your keel up on and, and not get into trouble. And that's why Towboat US and Seatow memberships are such a good deal if you're gunk holing in the ICW is because everybody runs aground and they almost always need a tow off or oftentimes need a tow off. Yeah, I think on the way back from the Bahamas, I was anchored near St. Pete, near one of their more famous hotels in kind of a subdivision. And I ran aground. I didn't need a tow off there. I needed a tow when I hit a sandbar in Marathon from Towboat US, which I had a membership for. I Whenever I was anchored in Venice Inlet, I did not need a, a tow off, but at low tide, my boat was sitting on its keel while anchored, so we were not floating, but, but actually sitting on the ground on the, the bottom, which was a little bit lower than four feet at, at low, low tide. That, of course, is not an exhaustive list of all the times I ran aground, so I think the phrase is there two kinds of sailors sailors who say they run aground and liars and this is all in the way of saying that i think that some of the comments uh, about tanner and nikki have just been very negative and i think unfairly so uh you know i encourage you if you want to contribute to their gofundme page i will send a, a link to that i think when i interviewed them it was at a thousand and now when I look at it now, it's over 16,000. So I think a lot of people have been very generous. But I, I understand that when people do those campaigns, they kind of open themselves up to a lot of criticism. Although I didn't hear as much criticism of, for instance, the Tonda Malaika family, um, per, perhaps because they weren't actually running the GoFundMe page. It was one of their children who was not on the boat. Um, and that kind of shielded them from that a little. Uh, and so I think Tanner and Nikki, for instance, they tried to set up a Facebook page to keep their Facebook private. And they got a lot of, you know, just really trolly type comments. And, and you know, maybe they could have could have uh, blocked those out. But I, I would just encourage folks to be civil towards these two. We really want to encourage new sailors and new sailors and old sailors make mistakes. Uh, and I don't think it's worth saying mean things to people on the internet it's just not good it's bad bad for your soul i think by and large the comments have actually been fairly supportive and people have been supportive and generous uh with both tanner and nikki so they can uh continue their cruising dreams and uh i hope they do the i think one of the things that nikki said on her facebook page which is private it is that they 
one of the reasons why they haven't got the, the boat pulled out as fast as they wanted to, I want to assure you that the Coast Guard was really uh, communicating with them while I was, that, that the, the Coast Guard was making sure that they cleaned up the mess. And I'm absolutely sure that they're going to clean it up. Nikki said that one of the problems was that Land Yap originally was, you know, there and then it broke up and it, it broke up into the sand fairly quickly. And they had bids for it before it broke up. And then when it broke up, a lot of the bids to clean it up kind of went away and they finally found someone willing to do it. Uh, but that, you know, this complicated the process. But I I have every belief that number one, they want to, but also uh, people like the Coast Guard and maybe other local authorities um, are going to make sure that it, that their wreck is cleaned up. And thankfully, the GoFundMe uh, should be able to, to totally cover that. And you'll hear that somebody was talking to Tanner about giving them a boat. I don't know uh, what the status on that is. Uh, but, you know, for instance, our guest, Jeffrey Weddick, got a free boat. And oh, I'm interested in talking to him about that. So uh, sometimes it does happen. Uh, a lot of boats go for very low prices. I think they kind of got a little ripped off on the line yacht boat. Uh, but... You know, we got a 30-foot boat, which I think was probably in better condition than, than Lanya, uh, for uh, 4600 uh, a couple of years earlier than they did. And they got the 28-foot Lanya for 5000 So, uh, you know, it, I don't think it was a great deal uh, by Gulf Coast standards. There's a lot of $1,000 boats out there and a lot of great $10,000 boats out there. So... Uh, I think that they can do better. The other thing that I think a lot of people seized on is that, you know, Tanner said he didn't want to, like, work for the man all his life and stuff like that. And, and I, you know, I think that's just really kind of a common sentiment of cruisers in general. Of course, it takes money to own a boat. Um, I think, you know, you should really see them as kind of more the the Jess and Kate model. So, Jess Z, who was a, a podcast guest, right? They they worked as waitresses in Florida for a long time to pay for their cruising, where they cruised to the Bahamas and did the Great Loop. I think that you're, you know, with Nikki and Tanner, you're talking about the same thing. I think they both have job have had jobs. They will have jobs in the future. You know, the Dave Ramsey commented on Nikki and Tanner on his show that the, the personal finance guru uh, condemning them. And I think that's just kind of really unfair. Obviously, they are not going to be able to fund their lifestyle through GoFundMe. That's ridiculous. It won't happen. Uh, they, they will work. Uh, they have worked. They will pay for their way because that's what everybody has to do. A brief word from our corporate sponsor, Mantis Anchors. Mantis Anchors founder, Greg Cutson, tells why they created a modular design that can be easily stowed away for their revolutionary anchor. Well, you literally have some time, just a few seconds, to deploy something. And that something you deploy better work. And sometimes the better work at short scope. And we want to make an anchor modular 
it's not just because we want you to have a spare for a hurricane, you know, be able to put away a monster. But we want you to be able to have a spare for an emergency, which, meaning a spare anchor needs to have the same setting performance as your primary. That was kind of the, the thought. So we wanted to have, we didn't, we didn't want to change the design, we wanted to have the main anchor as something that is modular, so you can use it for a variety of applications. You can get Mantis anchors and their other innovative sailing gear at mantismarine.com or other fine retailers. So you can get our round the world vlogs on the first Thursday of the month around 5 p.m. New York City time. We also have a lot of other great stuff in addition to seeing all of the Marquesas in the coming months and seeing our cruise of Tahiti and Morea for the end of season two, which is already filmed. There are thousands upon thousands of clips going into each one uh, this season and hundreds of clips going into these episodes. So I really need to get editing, so I want to get ahead of those vlogs so I can schedule them over the summer while I have bad internet in French Polynesia and South Pacific. Tonga and the Cook Islands. I want to have those scheduled at least through August while I'm gone. In addition, we've had a, another video about the Sea Nymph, and that really goes into the issues of the GPS data. You can hear the survivor debrief. The Sea Nymph, Jennifer Apple's boat, was discovered by podcast guest D. Kafari, episode 9 guest. Uh, the five-time circumnavigator and skipper of the Volvo Ocean Race boat turned the tide on plastics. That boat is was floating somewhere about 400 miles from east of Guam, according to Turn the Tide on Plastics. See that video. We also have been running a series with Gary Fretz, uh, a, a catamaran yacht broker, and he sells kind of cruising catamarans and kind of about the 40-foot range. So nice, big cruising cats. Usually relatively young cats is what he'll, uh, his buyers will go after, you know, that, come, that are maybe five years old or something like that or a few years old. And uh, I think people really like that series. We're going to continue with that. We have four episodes of that up. I got another one edited. It's going to come out um, in early March, and there'll probably be another three of those episodes at least with Gary. He has a lot of good advice if you're thinking about buying a big cruising boat. And I think the boat loan video that will be coming out on the YouTube channel I think will be very informative for anybody that's thinking of financing their purchase. One of the reasons why Delos was able to get such a big boat and keep it even in the, le the lean years was because they had a pretty big boat loan uh, that really allowed them to maintain more of their savings and, and do that. So that's that's an option. I've always bought my boats outright, but I think you know if you're thinking about a, a very large boat that's relatively new, that you know the boat loan market is worth looking at. Um, my preference is to have a smaller boat and uh, be able to finance it outright, but there. But or that is with my own funds, uh, but that's that's an option for people. Here's the interview with Tanner Broadwell and Nikki Walsh of the sailing vessel Lanya. <laughs> 
made it so difficult to get into this channel in the first place. Because of the hurricane has moved it over. I'm assuming that maybe it uncovered something, but it pushed us onto shallows with rollers coming in and it picked us up and dropped us onto the shallows, which was about a half mile out. The shoal was probably two to three feet deep by the time we blew onto it. But we were pushed onto it by rollers. But that damaged the boat further and the boat started to fill with water in no time. All this happened within five minutes. Okay, then so we got stuck and we sat. I tried to aim the boat into the rollers, which turned into breakers as the tide was going out. So the tide started to go out and it was almost dead low. And it started to create little breakers that were tearing us to pieces. And because the keel was off, the round bottom of the boat would go from one extreme to the next. And even though there was no wind at all, it was tearing our boat to pieces. And it was extremely intense. So when you were entering the pass, John's pass at nine, uh, the, it was dead calm. But then you, then you hit something, something. and... When you got in the shallows, there was a lot more surf and rollers. On the shoal. The shoal goes out about half a mile, and that's where the boat's sitting still right now. Okay. Uh, And it's just moving around crazy like you lost the keel. Yes, because it wouldn't roll from one side to the next if I had four feet of keel under my boat. Yeah, and I guess in the pictures you can't see the keel anymore right it's not there yeah. right so when we went to it you can kind of see where it was but i don't know exactly don't where the keel anywhere in the water so that's somewhere underwater still yeah uh and so the boat turned over at some point and started filling with water so the the water started filling not from underneath but it filled no, through it the command turn over we were sitting in it and i'm trying to power it into the breakers okay and it filled up from the bottom. She looks oh. at it, there's an inch of water, then she, and I'm, all the while, I'm trying to like still salvage the boat and navigate off of this shoal. Right, yeah. And it continued to fill, and by the time there was, you know, three feet of water in it, it was too late to save the boat. Yeah. Once it came up over the engine, it was over with. Uh, and you guys, did you guys have a bilge pump in the boat, or? We did. Yeah. But it was, I mean, I, I don't know why it wasn't enough. To it just up. wasn't enough. It was coming in way too fast. Yeah. I yeah. believe it was the whole keel had to be the hole. I mean, like... So there's, there could be holes. We haven't seen it. I haven't got it out yet to investigate damage, but... But it was filling up from the bottom, and you guys were yeah. flooded within five minutes. Wow. That's, that's so sad. So scary. You know, I think that's kind of a nightmare scenario for a lot of people. That the keel Absolutely. falls out. Uh, I'm just glad that that happened when you were close to shore. Yes. What were you able to take off the boat, and uh, what did you do to, to abandon the boat? All the while, I'm still trying to get the boat off. So by the time Sea Toad arrived, and I'm up there trying to put the line on the, my, um, the bow to pull the boat off, she was sitting gone. down, she grabbed some. I got our, we have like a big folder of our important paperwork. I grabbed that, and all the while I'm holding the dog with his life jacket, my life jacket. And the boat's still like, you know, 
just like really moving a lot off the shadows. I, I didn't grabbed slam it. the boat when he got picked up by the rollers and slam it down. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to get anything. She got my ID, some cash. I grabbed ready, like a most few importantly, clothes. A handful and... of clothes. Yeah. And every single thing was And lost. the dog food. We got the dog's food and his favorite toy, which is <laughs> conveniently located. So he has everything he needed. <laughs> she didn't get all the dog food. So we had a huge bag of dog food. We had tons of things prepared for a long trip. Enough provisions for roughly three months. And she grabbed the the refillable dog food bag. And and where were you planning on going on your trip? We were, we were going to the Keys to restock with more money. We're going to go get jobs down in the Keys, maybe maybe keep going further south. Still going to. I don't care what happens. Getting another boat, I'm going to continue. People are offering us boats. Somebody is trying to give us one. Hopefully it'll work out and we can continue where we left off. Well, that would be awesome. Uh, the uh, ideal. We love the keys, and uh, I think a lot of people are inspired by your story. You know, uh, going out young and and uh, going following your dreams, and uh, hope that you guys can do some more. You guys have a, a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, I think we it's do. doing really well. I think it people is. a lot of uh, are very inspired by your story. Uh, what's how did people access that? So I, the GoFundMe I'm new to, I've never done it before. So I've just been sharing links. My friends have been sharing links. And the name of your boat is Lanya. Kind of like the 13th Donut. The name was on the boat already. So it was kind of appropriate. Okay. Now I'm going to change the name of the next boat I get. But it's cool because we were troll or our dinghy was coming from behind us. So the dinghy made it, so we still have the dinghy. So we're still technically boat owners. Well, that's so. that's awesome. We did. Uh, me and my wife saw your dinghy. It looks like a Walker Bay Eight to us. It is. I'm glad we got it that. Survived a shipwreck. We love our Walker Bay Eight. I used it all this that's summer good. in French Polynesia. It's a it's a wonderful uh, rowing dinghy. So. Absolutely. Glad you were able to salvage that. They, they, they're worth their weight in gold, apparently. When did you start getting interested in sailing? So we, Where Tanner had brought up the idea to me, because when you live on the water, it's free. You don't have to pay rent, you and you get to travel for free. You I know? can travel by wind power and see the whole world that I want to travel. And the, and the situation I was in... Summit County, it's expensive to live because it's a ski resort town. Everybody wants to be there. And I don't want to live in a crappy place, so I want to live in a fun, exciting area. So we decided we're going to go sail. I can get to and from all these places and figure out the money when I get there, but I can go places under the wind's power whenever it takes me. There's no rush to get there as long as I got there. But when he had told me that idea... Like, there's no way I'm living on a sailboat. This is my comfy home, and no, there's no way. But then I started watching the YouTube videos, and this... It's doable. People it is doable. It happen. And there's young couples like us that are doing it. We saw a family of four that lives on the exact same boat we have. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so... I'm like, if they can do it, we can do it. So what are your favorite YouTube channels? I would say... 
Love Vagabond is the one that got me. I watched all their episodes just sitting in my bedroom in Colorado. And when the boat was going down, I was wearing the Love Vagabond shirt Tanner had got me. All right. We really like, or I really like S.P. Delos. And those two are my favorite. They're fun. Cool. And then there's a few other ones I watch. I actually did not watch any YouTube channels, and I refused to watch any of them. I wanted to experience <laughs> it on my own. I did not want to see someone do what I wanted to do, so I watched no videos. Awesome. This was all, she was all her deal. She loved the videos. Yeah, I started sailing. I did not know about YouTube channels until after I started the podcast. <laughs> oh, gotcha. And people said, hey, we love these YouTube channels. And that, that was how I started watching them. So, But I know a lot of people that have been inspired by the YouTube channels, but not everybody has that story. Uh, okay, uh, and you bought the boat in uh, Alabama, is that right? Yeah, Mobile Bay, Fairhope, Alabama. And Nikki was not here yet on that trip. My dad and I went up there and got the boat. I had just sold the car. We had already sold the majority of the rest of our things. And I rented a car and drove to where the boat was. Fortunately, it was in great shape. There was a spring in the marina. So there was no crap growing on the bottom of my boat. It was in great shape. And he and I, well, the owner of the boat that sold it to us dropped him off or dropped the dropped our rental car off and brought him back. And the next morning we set sail in Mobile Bay in roughly 20 knot winds, and it it worked great. We sailed all the way out of there, and we went down into the intracoastal from there to Destin. And That's then from, where I met up with them. Yeah, and then Nikki came and met up with us in Destin, and we sailed from Destin outside into the Gulf to. Uh, Panama City because I don't think the Intracoastal connects and then from Panama City the three of us and the dog so the four of us we went out about maybe five or six miles and then started going to maybe 40 miles I don't remember but we went out and we started heading towards Tampa Bay it was Clearwater was where we were going and we wound up at Tarpon Springs but what's- by the whole way they were doing it Tanner's dad used to race Hobie cats, and he was teaching us how to sail. He learned quite a few things, and they would win races all the time. And I'm like, you know what? Teach me how to sail the boat. If it's going to happen, I can do it. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. And I learned to sail, and sailing was not the hard part. When all this happened, it was under motor power and glassy, no wind, and I was moving at like two, two and a half knots. So whatever happened was crap luck. Yeah. And I don't know, something underwater, I don't know what it was. I'd like to find out. Yeah, the keel shouldn't have fell off like that. Um, that was just, you know. But I think people do talk about the keel bolts going bad on old boats, so that's just that always a risk. Uh, but he probably hit something nasty, too. When did you guys arrive in Tarpon Springs? Roughly June. June, Okay. And then boat was hauled out. How long was it hauled out for? So after about a month, they let me trade work for staying there. So I learned a ton about boats. Everybody constantly helped us with everything to make sure everything went great for us. And we came out sometime before around July, maybe the beginning of July. We got we pulled the boat out, and then we ended up leaving for two months roughly but was on the hard from early July to September 
Well, no, longer than that. So that September was when we came back. It was still on the hard, and we stayed there at the boat the whole time at the marina. And I worked the whole time trying to save up money. And the the kind of gear you had on the boat, you had a depth sounder. Yes. And you yeah. we had a compass. We had chart plotter, a Garmin chart plotter. We had Navionics on our cell phones. And we had paper charts that we bought at West Marine for the rest of the area down to Flamingo, from like Tarpon Springs to Flamingo. Okay. But cool. everything else on the boat, pretty basic. So we didn't really know. We're not. It was about sailing. It was all about sailing. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to be like sailing offshore. You didn't have like a fridge or anything on the boat, no or refrigerator, no. Everything we ate, I, we had and a Coleman stove. Coleman stove, tons of propane, beans, rice, cheap, very very simple lifestyle, no extra anything. And that's what we wanted. This is what exactly what we wanted to. Remy had everything he needed. Them. She had everything. She we all we had exactly what we needed to go from good, good amount of time and not have to come in at all. And, and Remy's your two-year-old pug. Yeah. Yeah, he's the dog. We have him here. You want to see Remy? Yeah, is Remy around? around? Yes, he's playing with his favorite toys out there. <laughs> so you guys were... You guys got in the water about two weeks ago. Oh, look, there's Remy. Oh, isn't he cute? Oh, well, I'll show you Avery, but he's sleeping. He's sleeping right now. Oh. Toy poodle. How sweet. Yeah, so we sailed with our previous toy poodle all over. Our previous toy poodle nice. sailed to sailed in Tahiti just last year before he passed. This is oh, he fun. this guy's just a puppy right now. So the the boat was in the water for about two weeks before you guys had the wreck. Yes. And, and really the first, you didn't have any time to like sail it around prior to your your shakeout cruise. We did, we took it sailing. We sailed out the, earlier that that day and that was it. No, we sailed the boat with. We sailed other people's boats with them. We didn't sail our boat that much after we put it back in the water. Now. We sailed it a few times, but not much. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the, you weren't going very far either, right? You, you know, you, no, so you, you're we just going down the coast. We started our trip. We didn't leave until about 4 p.m. roughly, and we sailed out. We actually motored to where we were going. So we motored out of Anklo River and anchored on the east side of Three Rooker, which is just south of Anklo Key. Yeah. Because that was a good, safe anchorage. People recommended to us, so we're like, okay, we'll go there, we'll check it out. We stayed there overnight, everything went great. Then we went out of, when we motored around that about five miles out, set our sails and cruised down to Clearwater, Dunedin, and then right around Clearwater and Dunedin, we started coming in. And as we got there at about 1.30, Clearwater, Dunedin. So we were aiming to get into John's Pass by dusk but we didn't make it by dusk and we didn't have anywhere to anchor and so we decided we're going to try and get into safe anchorage and stay in there but we didn't make it in because of whatever was in the water i didn't I don't, it was it all happened within literally like from the time that we called sea tow 
to the time that we sank, we sank within five and ten minutes. Wow, that's amazing. But when we sank, like we broke. Whatever, whatever I hit blew us on. We, we we rolled in with the waves onto the shoal, and it was only three or so feet deep. So we sank onto the shallow three feet deep, and that's how much water was in the boat. So the right. top half okay. was exposed. It wasn't underwater. And we didn't have to jump off the boat, but some of the news articles stretch it a little bit and make it seem like it was worse. That's not the case. All I could do was point it into the surf and try to get it off. I tried backing out. It didn't happen. I tried to aim it into the into the waves. And by the time Sito came, the boat was like literally as underwater as it could be with the shallow amount of water there was. So you have that... And then pic- as the tide came in, the next day we came in, uh-huh. we took the sea tow back out to see if we could salvage any of our stuff, and the tide had come up, and our boat had rolled over to the side, and uh, we, that's had where no all the way, we had no yeah, way to get it. The next day the it rolled over. But the first day it was it was upright, but it was just filled with water as deep as the water was. So it's, it You're really sunk to the bottom. about half a mile. And that's about how far out we were. So it was, it was it was crappy. What I was worried about was losing a boat. Not for a second did I think I was going to lose Nikki or the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Because you were in such shallow water. You are right near land. In the worst case scenario, I would have swam the both of them in. Yeah. Put them on the dinghy and rowed us back. But I was trying to salvage the boat. I didn't want to lose my house. You know, that's what I was trying to do was save the boat. And by the time that... He got there and put the rope on and said that it's over the engine. We can't do anything about it. Right. We just, he's like, hop on now. And we grabbed the few things we had said we grabbed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys are okay. And uh, the most important thing is that you have your health. Absolutely. That's all you really have. I flew around. She was getting hit in the head with stuff. It was hectic. But the main concern was losing the boat. I mean, worst case scenario, how far was, like, land? You were kind of on a sandbar, but... Half a mile. Okay, so you could have rowed out there fairly easily. You had the rowboat. Yeah. Worst case scenario, that's what I could have done. That was Tanner Broadwell and Nikki Walsh. And I think if you just Google Nikki Walsh GoFundMe, uh, you can find it. And I'll put a link in the show notes uh, for their GoFundMe page. Nikki's spelled N-I-K-K-I. So next month, I'm thinking of having Adventures of the Sea Dog, of an old sea dog, YouTube channel creator on. He's a solo sailor from England. He sailed across the Atlantic and most recently through the Panama Canal. And he says he's going to explore the Mexico coast now that he's in the Pacific. And I'm excited about bringing him to you. Our previous guest, Bobby White of Sailing Doodles. You can get his total backstory by looking at his episode a few episodes back recently started a podcast i think uh we heard about that his boat was destroyed and i think he gave it away uh to someone in puerto rico his he lost his mast during hurricane maria but he's been delivering a boat and he's delivering a boat from california i believe all the way to thailand so it's my hope that we're going to get to meet up with Bobby White and crew in person uh, in French Polynesia if our schedules work out. 
Unfortunately, my cruising plans will not line up with that of SV Delos, but they will line up with a lot of other people. So Delos is currently in the Caribbean, and all signs point to that they visited uh, with the crew of Sailing Sophisticated Lady. That's Rick Moore's channel, and I'm sure they're going to show up in a lot of other people's channels, too, in the Caribbean. And if we're really lucky, they'll visit Florida and people get to see them in person. I have one more recent video out. It's kind of a very dark subject. You know, the number of uh, deaths at sea are really small, uh, but it's a case of a man who the FBI is accusing of second-degree murder of his wife, Isabella Hellman, who fell overboard on their honeymoon cruise in his catamaran. And the FBI and Coast Guard are accusing the man of scuttling his catamaran, and he's already in jail for transporting stolen coins, which were found in the life raft when he had a helicopter rescue from the U.S. Coast Guard, and they found others in his residence. When the sailing cat sunk and his wife uh, fell overboard and was never found, uh, their daughter was only uh, nine months old. She's over a year old now. The incident happened in May 2017, and he just recently was charged with second-degree murder this past month. Uh, the man charged is named Lewis Bennett. He's an Australian and British citizen, and he married an American woman, Isabella Hellman, and they're, they both at the time of the incident were in their early 40s. You can see the video about that on the slow boat sailing youtube channel this is obviously an ongoing story since he faces a, a trial for his life and to defend himself against those charges he's of course innocent until proven guilty under our system of justice he's currently serving seven months for transporting stolen silver and gold coins from a boat that he worked on in saint martin you can see that in our latest Round the world vlog in Hiva Oa titled Unprepared to Go to Sea, all on the Slow Boat Sailing YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Linus Wilson. Thanks for listening. Have some fun on the water. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.